Turn your Bibles to Acts 28, uh, verses 1 through 16. Uh, In verse 16, the Apostle Paul arrives in Rome, and that marks the climax of the book of Acts. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had promised that the apostles would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and that they would be his witnesses uh, to Jerusalem, and then further out to Judea, and then further out to Samaria, and then further out to the ends of the earth. And when the gospel arrives in Rome, uh, that represents the ends of the earth. Rome was the capital and center of the known world. And the Apostle Paul has overcome obstacles, human obstacles in uh, Jerusalem, natural obstacles, the storms at sea. And this journey, depending on when you begin the count, takes up six to seven chapters Uh, coming close to a third of the entire book of Acts is taken up with this journey. Why? Because, one could argue, this is the major milestone in the whole history of the church uh, because radiating out from Rome are the ports and the roads that will extend throughout the known world. And the implicit message of these 16 verses is that whatever the task, to which the church is called, it will be successful. It will be victorious. Uh, The same God that through uh, Paul overcame uh, all of the the obstacles and the opposition that he encountered, both the human and natural, will still uh, and forever guide the church and provide for the church and protect the church on its road to victory. So let's look at uh, the narrative and then we'll draw some conclusions. Uh, Verse 1, after we were brought safely through, uh, we learned that the island was called Malta. Now, Malta is about 58 miles south of Sicily. If you've got a map of the Mediterranean in your mind, about 180 miles uh, north and east of uh, Tunisia, uh, the closest um, uh, land uh, from Malta itself. Uh, Verse 2, then the native people, that's uh, the Barbaros, in the original Greek, from which we get our word barbarians, uh, but basically it means foreigners. Uh, The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all uh, because it had become, uh, begun to rain and was cold. Um, And and so we see that they're treated kindly. Uh, They stay for three months on this island of of Malta and they're treated very well uh, by the native population there. Uh, Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and had put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. So what we have expressed here is a natural theology that is well nigh universal and is not incorrect. On on the positive side, they understand that God is a God of justice. And and, and they understand that when you do wrong, you're going to get punished for it. God is going to ensure that right is done, that evil is punished. And so even though the Apostle Paul managed to survive this vast storm, when the the serpent's... uh, Uh, viper, it uh, it, uh, uh, bites onto the Apostle Paul's hand, they assume that means that that, uh, he's guilty of some uh, great evil, 
and uh, though he survived the storm, God wouldn't let him get away entirely, and so sent this, uh, this viper to, 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 to bite him. So in, in the positive sense, yes, they understand God is a God of justice. He punishes evil. Um, he rewards the good. That is true. Um, however, what they don't understand is that there's not a one-to-one -one correlation between the two. Uh, sometimes the, the, uh, the wicked, they uh, in, enjoy uh, comfort and, and, and prosperity in this world, and, and justice doesn't come in this world. We know that from the book of Job. Uh, we know that from Psalm 73 and 37, and we know that from the teaching of Jesus. So they got part of it right, they got part of it wrong, but the, the expectation is the Apostle Paul here is, is going, going to die uh, because of uh, this viper striking him. Uh, he, verse 5, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up suddenly or swell up or suddenly fall down dead. So you can just imagine the situation. He gets bitten, and they all gather around, and they're just standing there looking at him, just waiting, waiting for him to swell up and to fall over dead. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And he survives. And so they're absolutely astonished. So what do they do? They, they completely flip-flop on the matter. They decide, well, if he's survived that, it must be that he's a deity. It must be that he's a god. He's some kind of a supernatural being. So as we uh, continue in verse 6, when they had waited a long time um, and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. This, by the way, is a reminder not to follow, follow popular opinion. Don't follow the crowd. Um, re realize the extent to which a crowd can flip-flop in its opinions and in its outlook and who it regards as a, as a, as a murderer and a criminal and who it regards as, as a hero and a savior. Uh, so this is what happens here on, on Malta. Uh, verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named uh, Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Note again the kindness of the people of this island. There's 276 people that have come off of that shipwreck, and he's, he's showing kindness uh, to them all and uh, providing hospitality for them. Verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. 276 people. And so they're, they're provisioning uh, the, 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 the people who had been shipwrecked as they uh, now leave Malta. Uh, verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had weathered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. The twin gods are Castor and uh, Pollux, sons of Zeus, known to the Romans as Jupiter. Gives you some further insight into the world to which the apostles are ministering, uh, that it is a world full not only of barbarism and not, not only gross immorality, but, but a profound superstition. And so you have the, 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 these, the gods of the mariners, as these two were known. Uh, presumably providing uh, some protection. We're now at about mid-February of 
60, the weather is just beginning to let up. So verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, which is 90 miles to the north on Sicily, in, in Sicily proper. We stayed there for three days. Verse 13, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, which is uh, a further uh, 80 miles to the north in southern Italy on the eastern coast. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pitoli. Uh, that's uh, that's a, a, a journey of 200 miles through the Straits of Messina to uh, Pitoli on the west coast now of Italy, and so well on the way to Rome. There we found the brothers, Christian brethren, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius, that is, they, these uh, fellow Christians traveled some 43 miles south uh, to this market in Appius, and then others traveled 33 miles south by land uh, to the three taverns to meet us and escort Paul and his entourage uh, and those guarding him to Rome. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And they had come, to, of course, to see the great author of the epistle, which we know as the book of Romans, that he had written to them. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay with himself, or by himself, with the soldier that guarded him. In other words, there was a very relaxed form of detention uh, for Paul. So, I have five lessons that I want to commend to us uh, this morning. What we learn about Christian mission through the missionary efforts of the Apostle Paul, how do they apply to our mission? Well, let me suggest the following. Number one, that God is working out his purposes. Uh, years ago, we had the privilege of having uh, Sinclair Ferguson uh, for Sunday dinner after he had preached here from uh, this pulpit, and we were going through, you know, the trials and tribulations of the early years here, uh, and uh, Emily asked Sinclair what God was doing amidst all of these troubles, and his answer was, I think, a very wise one. He said, God is not doing a single thing. God is doing a thousand things all at once. Uh, there's what he's doing in your life, and then all the lives that you touch, tens of people, and then there's all the people that they touch, hundreds of people, and then there's all the people that they touch, thousands of people, and on the rippling effect goes out. He's doing not just a single thing. In other words, it's not all about you. Uh, th there is a, a larger purpose of which we are a part, and he is working out that purpose. He is in the language of Ephesians 1.11, he's working out all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, that's, that's Romans 8.28. Ephesians 1.11 is he works all things after the counsel of his own will. God has a purpose. God has a plan. He's working out that plan. And the result of that plan is there will be a multitude that no one can number in heaven, says Revelation 7.9. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, Revelation 11.15. All that the apostle Paul endured, the, you know, the, the, the plots against his life, the riots in, in, in Jerusalem, the storm that brought him uh, to the present place are all ordered by the righteous 
holy, good, gracious purpose of God. Uh, The good shepherd was leading. The good shepherd has his purpose uh, for the Apostle Paul. And he laid down his life for the sheep. And as Romans 8.32 says, uh, having withheld not his only son, uh, he, 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 and he has freely given us all things. Having not withheld his son, he with him freely gives us all things. From argument from the greater to the lesser. If he's given us him, everything else uh, follows as well. So uh, what are we to understand in the midst of our mission? That God is working out his purposes for us as individuals and for us as a congregation. All right, number two. Uh, that God is directing his church. Back in chapter 23, verse 11, Paul was promised he would be his, God's witness in Rome. Now, what he was not told was about the process of getting there. He wasn't told there would be riots. He wasn't told there would be plots. He, didn't tell, uh, he wasn't told he would spend two years in jail. He, he wasn't told that there would be storms that he would encounter. And undoubtedly, it seemed at various junctures that the plan was not going to be realized, that he, that he, he might have felt like he had been abandoned. He, he, he undoubtedly was tempted with hopelessness and, and believed his mission would fail. And there were months of delay. He may have even wondered, did I somehow step outside of, of the will of God? He encountered not just a terrible storm, but a terrifying storm. He had to finally jump into the water and swim to shore. And yet through it all, God was leading his church. God was leading his servants. And that's what we're to understand from this journey to Rome. That in spite of the setbacks that we might encounter, despite the shipwrecks, the storms, the snakes, we're being led We're being directed. We may not know exactly where we are going. We don't have a hotline to the Almighty, and yet he's he's faithful. And as doors open, we walk through those doors of opportunity and we make the most of them. Uh, The good shepherd is leading his sheep. He leads us uh, to the green pastures and uh, the still waters. He leads us into the paths of righteousness. We can be confident of that, uh, that as we faithfully serve and obediently follow, that he is directing his church. So he's working out his purposes, number one. Number two, he's directing his church. Number three, he's providing for his church. Back in Genesis 22:14, Mount Moriah, uh, the occasion of the near sacrifice of of uh, Isaac, uh, Abraham named the location Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. He always provides for his people. If you just look at the verses that we have just concluded uh, reading, well, in the chapter before as well, the kindness of the centurion Julius, the unusual kindness of the people of that island, the kindness of Publius, the richest man and leading citizen of the island, the uh, the kindness of the whole island that honored and supplied them as they continued uh, their their journey, the Christians who came down from Rome to escort 
uh, the apostle Paul. We're told in verse 15, this, this apostle who stood so boldly and courageously and, and bravely in the face of the storm, virtually taking over command of the ship, it says in verse 15, he took courage. This is what he needed. He was encouraged by, by their visits. By, by, by what? By the, the fellowship of, of other, other believers. That's what he needed at that moment was, uh, was the camaraderie and the, and the, the richness of, of, of Christian fellowship. Now, does that mean that, that God had supplied all of the Apostle Paul's wants or that he supplies all of our wants? Uh, of course not. There's a, there's, a, you know, there's a vital distinction that needs to be made between wants and needs. Undoubtedly, if the Apostle Paul had been designing his itinerary, it would have been smooth sailing all the way. Uh, the whole journey would have been comfortable and safe. There wouldn't have been a storm at all. Uh, that's what he wanted. Is that, that what he got? No. But were his needs yet met? Yes. And, and the promise of the gospel is, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. All of our needs. Not all of our wants, but all of our needs. Given the broader perspective, I mean, I can look back over decades. Uh, we, we can go back to when we first started to grow and we ran out of space. And so we redesigned the third floor of the, of the education building in order to open up the space to, because we needed more room for, for people. And I can remember when we grew further beyond that and we had to go over across the street to what we now call the administration building, at that time full of props and costumes for the Savannah Theater. And we cleared all that out and renovated uh, the building and, and, and turned it into offices uh, for our church. Uh, eventually, we still needed more room, and so we, we, we purchased what was a tattoo parlor back here in the corner. Uh, that was torn down. It fell down, actually. And, and, and then we built the Whitaker Street building. Then we renovated the lane, all this in service of the, of the ministry of the church. Then, then we were able to secure the, uh, the, the, the carriage house uh, as, as a place for interns to live. And, and then just in the last year, we were able to, to, to purchase... Uh, a parking lot. Our needs for parking are a lot different than they were 30 years ago when nobody was downtown uh, on, the, on the weekends. And, and now you can hardly find space on the sidewalk in which to walk. There are so many people. So we purchased, purchased a, a parking lot and were able to buy 18 Hull Street as we've continued to grow and to, to expand and, and have we gotten everything that we wanted? No, I'll tell you this. Every fundraiser fell short of the goals. Every single one of them. So did we get everything we want? No. Did he supply all of our needs? Uh, yes. Over the decades, he has supplied all of our needs. Now, listen to the promise of Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'm not promising you you're not going to have a storm. I'm not promising you're not going to have murderous opposition from mobs and crowds. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. No, he provides for his people strength, help, upholding us. 
The good shepherd, he spreads a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup, it overflows because, because he's faithful in providing for his people. And fourth, God is protecting his church. Looking back at chapter uh, 27, verse 23, in the midst of the storm, uh, the apostle Paul uh, there says to Uh, the passengers and crew and the soldiers on the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, to whom I belong. Uh, The apostle belongs to the God of heaven and earth, the creator, the governor of all, the sustainer of all. We belong to to God. And uh, he promises us, I will never leave nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. And so we can know that we are safe, we are protected through the storms of life, through the journeys that we undertake, through the conflicts that we encounter. Throughout the history of the church, there have been these external foes made up of mobs at some times and governments at other times. On other occasions, there's been internal enemies, heresies, from which the church needed to be protected, going back to the ancient Pelagians and the Arians and the Gnostics and others. We've had our Reformation. We had in the time of the Enlightenment uh, the, the, the opposition of the Sassanians uh, and the Deists. That would be in the 17th century, in the 18th century. Then in the 19th and early 20th century, there was the, the opposition of the modernists, the liberals, over, this, over, over the decades, we've encountered Nazism and communism and humanism and radical Islam. And yet we've had the protection of God, and the church will always, as it undertakes its mission, it's always going to have the provision of God and the protection of God. And again, through the prophet Isaiah, this time the 43rd chapter, he says, fear not. Why does he say fear not? Because there's an awful lot of things in the world that are frightening, that are, that are the occasions of anxiety and fear. But he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. You see, the same language that, the, that Paul received in his vision. The God to whom I belong, I am his. He is mine. Here in Isaiah, you are mine. Consequently, because you are mine, you're going to be protected. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so when... We walk even through the valley of the shadow of death with the good shepherd. We need fear no evil. His staff, it it will guide us and his rod will will drive off and defend us from the predators. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you because I am with you, the good shepherd accompanying us 
in these troubling circumstances that, that, that are inevitable for the people of God. It's a dangerous world out there, and, and in different uh, epics, at, at different times, and, and, and in different places, it gets more and more dangerous for the people of God. You know, the, the early rain church in Chengdu, China, which I visited back in 2019, and within a matter of months, uh, the pastor was arrested and the church was broken up. No causal relationship between my visit and the action of the police. So don't misunderstand me. Um, they had begun meeting again, and just this past week, they were, bro they, they were broken up again. And the police went in and arrested the, the pastor. Uh, their lead pastor is still in jail at the nine-year sentence. And now this uh, interim or assistant pastor was arrested, and the elders were arrested again. Um, the communist government in China becoming increasingly hostile, increasingly uh, d difficult. And, and yet we have this promise of God that I, I will protect you. And sometimes that protection means that we have a, a guarded journey into eternity. And this is what would be said by, uh, by the martyrs and others who have been persecuted over the centuries. There's, this is not a guarantee that we will not have trouble. It, it does, it's, a, it's not a guarantee that, uh, that, that we will not suffer. It's not a guarantee that our lives will necessarily be preserved. Uh, but, but nevertheless, as, as the good shepherd leads, we can know for certain we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How, how can we be confident of that? How can we be sure of that? Uh, because his rod and his staff are guiding and protecting us as his sheep. And then, fifthly, God is winning through his church. He will prevail and we will be victorious with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says, Jesus will reign until all his enemies are under his feet. So the reign will continue. And through the reign, he's working out his purposes. He's directing his church. He's providing for his church. He's protecting his church. And the, but the day will come in the language of Hebrews 11.8, quoting Jeremiah 31.31, when no one needs say to his neighbor, know the Lord, for each shall know him from the least to the greatest. There will come a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So says Isaiah, so says Habakkuk, both of them, uh, repeating that promise. Jesus said the mustard seed would grow to be the dominant plant in the garden. It will grow into, into dominance, into, into dominion. He said that the, the leaven will leaven the whole loaf. Gospel leaven will permeate the whole of society and the whole of the nations of the world. There will be a victory. He will reign until all his enemies are under his feet. How do we know? Because Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that gospel that we preach, it is the power of God unto salvation. And Jesus promised Luke, Luke 24, 49, you will be clothed with power from on high. Now, does that mean that the gospel would even reach Rome? You would think not. The odds would be all against it. And nevertheless, 
the Apostle Paul embodying the church and the gospel message reaches Rome. We ought to be the most optimistic and hopeful of all the people in the world. I think the short term, who knows? It can, it, it can be that there are difficult times ahead uh, for us as individuals, for our families, for us as a church, for the broader Christian community. We're, we're, not, we're not spared trouble in this world. So, so we don't know what's going to happen in the short run. In the long run, we win. In the long run, Jesus consummates his, 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 his victory, his rule, his reign. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let that sink in. He is the King of the kings. He is the Lord of the lords. And that means that we can be daring and bold and forward-thinking. In the language of Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. The church is. The people of God are. The believers are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not in our own strength or by our own wisdom or the end of 1 Corinthians 15. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have no reason to be timid, no reason to be frightened. No, no, no reason to, to back up and back off and, 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 and hide. We, we, we have every reason to be bold and forward-thinking because the, the victory is assured and the Apostle Paul's arrival in Rome is a signal of that inevitable victory that will come as Jesus is guiding and providing and protecting his church was William Carey, the great missionary, founder of the father of the modern missionary movement, who said, expect great things from God. Uh, why shouldn't you expect great things from God? Is he not protecting his church? Is he not providing for his church? Does, does he not guarantee victory for his church? Then we can expect great things from God and attempt great things for God and keep pushing forward, laboring, praying, proclaiming, witnessing, until, in the language of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 2.11, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. That's the New Testament vision. It's not pessimistic. It's not fatalistic, for sure. It's optimistic. The gospel is power. The Holy Spirit is, is, is power. The day will come when there will be recognition of the universal rule and reign of Christ. And the, and the means by which that rule and reign comes about, comes about is through the prayers of the people of God and the faithful proclamation of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul's arrival in Rome symbolizes the certainty having overcome all of those obstacles that the church will overcome every obstacle that's thrown in its path. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The good shepherd ensures it. The good shepherd guarantees it. 
And so let us uh, take heart. There's so much in the news that is discouraging. Most of the news that we get is bad news. It's what, you know, it's what sells. It's what people want to hear. There's so many reasons out there uh, to be pessimistic, to be defeatist, uh, to, want, to want to engage in some kind of a monastic withdrawal and protect ourselves from a hostile world. And we need to be reminded, the Apostle Paul, in spite of all opposition, both natural and human, arrives in Rome, the center of the known world, from which will radiate a gospel that will extend until the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the seas. And that, that is our hope, and, and that is our confidence, and it's in that light that we engage in the, the daily weekly, monthly, yearly, decade by decade, grind, as it were, of doing gospel ministry. Because we believe that through it, Christ is winning the world to himself. And we willingly engage in it because we know that his purposes will be fulfilled. He will have his way and he will win the victory as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray, O oh Lord, that we might engage in gospel ministry in the confident of your purposes, confident of your protection, confident of your provision, confident of the victory, bold, forward-looking in our outlook so that you might use us to contribute to that great, great day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.